Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. You know, um, I absolutely love Tuesdays, and I love Tuesdays for many things. Number one, at Comfort Cases, it's Giving Tuesday, and so for those of you who follow us on social media, you know I'm always having the ask on Tuesday um, because having a nonprofit, there's always a need. Um, but I get to do fostering change, and I get to meet some amazing people, and I'm very lucky that the person who I'm having on next is actually, I consider, a friend of mine. We both sit on the same board, and so without any further introduction, I'm going to introduce my friend, Kate Trambitskaya. Kate, welcome to Fostering Change. Thank you for having me, Rob. I'm really excited to be here and to speak with you about Fostering Change. Yeah, well, you know what, Kate? I have to tell you, first of all, um, I think adoption is so important. And the fact that your organization has been around for 110 years um, when it comes to that adoption journey, I want to dive right in because one of the things that I noticed on your website um, is something that I haven't experienced. And so for, for myself and my husband, we have five children and we adopted all five of our children in a closed adoption. And the closed adoption was not something that we wanted. It was something that was required by the happen to be the state that we in. They do not have open adoptions. It's only closed adoptions. Um, and so I see that on your website that a lot of your adoptions, it's almost like it's expanding the family because, you know, there's so much involvement in the birth mother. Yes, absolutely. I think open adoption is the norm for our practice. Most of our adoptions, if not all, are open adoption focused and open adoption is the way we create families. And so I think within the foster care system, the nature of just the fostering and the process of bringing a child into a foster care setting is one that is very adversarial for the birth family. And so unfortunately, many jurisdictions do have uh, a termination of parental right process that is the one that in the nature of the process is one that really closes the door to the idea and concept of open adoption. Because from the very moment that a child protective specialist meets with the family, they're there to investigate uh, a child protective issue. So there's really no space at that moment to sit down and discuss open adoption. And because the priorities of child welfare sort of kick in, uh, open adoption and empowering, um, you know, families, young birth parents or birth parents who are struggling to even contemplate the notion of adoption is not something that's in the forefront and center of, of the foster care world. I agree with you on that, you know, throughout the country, as I go through states to states, I see that. But I, I've got to tell you, and this is my opinion only, and by the way, I know I'm going to get the emails and I'm going to get the DMs and all of that. But, you know, I just think it's a system that is shattered and that's not the way it should go. Um, I do believe that there is a 
portion of children when it comes to severe neglect cases of abuse that I understand the whole, you know, having that closed part of it. But, you know, something that my husband and I said to all of the birth parents when we adopted was that um, there is room at our table. And if you do all the things that you need to do that the courts had requested you to do when you could have gotten your children back, if you would do those steps, you know, um, go to anger management, you know, go to parenting classes, you know, drug rehab, whatever it is that you needed to do, um, you know, come and enjoy the milestones um, of your children, which are, are now our children. And the sad part for us, it's 13 years that our, our first baby arrived and um, we have we don't receive any calls. So, um, but I think that what I've seen though, as my children have now gotten up in age, I've seen a lot of damage, you know, of more trauma because of that, you know, well, why isn't my, you know, birth mom calling me? It's my 16th birthday. And, and what I always keep reminding my children is that, you know, their father and I chose to be their parents and their birth parents right now have to choose to take care of themselves, but it doesn't mean they love them. Do you think that maybe we should try to, you know, as, as adopted parents try to do more to reach out to birth parents? Well, I think there's, you know, a line that is, is, is a balance, you know, um, on one hand, you know, I always say that for adoption and child welfare at the center is the best interest of the child or the children. Uh, and that's the core principle of, you know, when we practice adoption, when you and your husband open up your hearts and your homes and you choose to adopt and move forward with a foster care placement or whatever the way that you are growing or expanding your family. I think it's a balance. As you say, children are often in a place where they are interested and want to know and want to ask those really hard questions, especially as they reach a certain age, the questions of identity. Why? Why did my birth parents choose this route for me? Why did they, quote unquote, abandon me? And why did it happen to me? And that question often is a big question that children ask. So you balance that with what you said initially. You know, if there is a case of severe repeated abuse or neglect, that really brought the child to the foster care system in the first place. How much access do you want? Where's that balance? Are you, you know, uh, subsequently introducing the, reintroducing the child to the trauma all over again? Or is that a healing uh, place for them to be able to move forward um, with what they experience? So in terms of what adoptive parents can do in reaching out to birth families, we practice at Spence Chapin open adoption, and we believe it's in the best interest of every child um, to know their roots and their birth families and where they come from. And like you said, to sit together at a table and share those milestones together and, you know, to experience that. And we think that that has better outcomes for the children from their questions. They're very difficult questions surrounding identity, their growth and the why. And it's a confidence piece. It brings that uh, you know, that whole circle to kind of, you know, completion, because they feel like they, they have the tools to at least know or, or the information that they need to be able to, um, you know, answer those things for themselves and move through those developmental stages of their, you know, childhood and teenage years and adulthood. 
I have to agree 100% with you on that, Kate. You know, with 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 your organization, about how many adoptions have you actually have you all done in the 110 years that you've been? Oh, we're I believe at 25,000 at this point. Yeah, we've over 110 years, you know, we've created beautiful, amazing 25,000 families. And 5,000 families. I mean, that, yes. just, that makes my heart smile because, you know, as a kid who didn't get adopted and, you know, always wanting that forever family and that's, you know, building my own forever family, you know, um, I think that there's never a time in your life that you shouldn't think about adoption at some point. You know, in 2019, my husband and I thought we were completely done. Um, we, you know, at that point, we had our four children. We'd had them since they were little. They were at that coming in that teenage stage. And we all know what that's like. And all of a sudden, we decided to have our fifth child who actually arrived at the age of 18. Um, and, you know, and I thought when he arrived, it was like, okay, he, you know, he just, he needed some foundation. And, and in 2020, at the end of the 2020, he says to his, his data and I, he said, you know what I really want? And I said, what's that? And he says, I want to be adopted. And I said, what? I said, you're, you know, you're almost 21. I was like, you're never going anywhere, Alex. Your, your dad and I love you and your family. And he said, no, he says, I want to be a sheer. He says, I want to have the same last name as my brothers and my sister. And he says, and I want to be adopted. You know, Kate, at that moment, it made me realize that it's not all about, you know, growing up and having those parents, but it's really about having the connection. And when you say that word adoption, and it's final, and you know, um, he's no longer an Abernathy. He's now a Sheer, and how it makes him feel. I think what you guys, 25,000 children, it's just amazing. I, you know, I completely hear what you're saying. I wish more people uh, in today's world would uh, accept adoption as a normal uh, choice and option. It's something that we all embrace. I mean, while we have done 25,000 adoptions, you know, we still struggle both, you know, within uh, our communities and society as a whole to see adoption as a positive outcome. You know, when we talk about birth parents who are caught in vulnerable situations and they're thrown into a system of adversity, adoption is, is, is never brought to the front and center as a viable option. It is absolutely the last resort today within the child welfare system. Reunification and return to parent, those are their primary goals, no matter what. And so, you know, New York, for example, it takes anywhere between 15 to 30 months to move to a termination of parental right proceedings from the time a child enters foster care. So if you have an infant, about two years before we can move forward to an adoption, because we're trying really hard to rehabilitate a family that really has zero little chance of being rehabilitated, are we focusing on family welfare or are we focusing on child welfare? What's our priority here? And so adoption, I wish we can do 25,000 more adoptions over the next 100 years. Um, and that, you know, foster care systems adopt this notion of empowering young people, women who are struggling to accept this or consider this choice as a normal, viable option. 
You know, I, Kate, I agree with you. And by the way, we are going to get the hate just to let you know, because, you know, I hear people reach out to me all the time when I voice my opinion about this, that we're ripping families apart, that we are, you know, and, and this is what I say to every single person, to everyone that's listening and that watching this, children do not deserve to have to stand on the sidelines and watch their parents try to be parents when they need to go forward. And let me tell you, I believe we all fall. I have fallen. I believe we fall. But there comes a point within our lives that children cannot be the pawn that, you know, what I think should happen is there should be a law across the land that if your children end up in child welfare, that you have 12 months 12 months to get your act together. And by the way, we're going to do everything in our power to, to help you do that. We're going to provide you all the counseling. We're going to make sure that you're getting housing. We're going to make sure that we, we get you the opportunity to learn earn a living wage. What I have seen too many times is that all of these options are given to these birth parents and no one takes them up until the very last moment when the judge is ready to change it from reunification to adoption. Then all of a sudden, a birth parent decides to take a class and then a judge says, OK, well, we're going to stick with this unification for another 12 months. What have we done to that child? I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, getting heat for this is something I'm used to as well. I, I worked for a child welfare system, the largest child welfare system in this country, prosecuting child abuse and neglect cases for seven years at the Administration for Children's Services. And it's a revolving door of family court. Children, there's no concept of rapid permanency. It is not a priority in our DNA. It's like, Let's, how many times are you going to hear about excessive corporal punishment and send this parent to anger management? And at whose expense? At the child's? I mean, yes, we are all not perfect parents. I'm certainly not a perfect parent, but, you know, we can all agree that we don't use excessive corporal punishment on a regular basis, you know, as a way to, to discipline our kids. If we did, we'd be part of the system. And how many, how many times is a parent given you know, uh, sort of like a, a green card or, or, or get out of jail card, if you will, you know, um, and at that point, if you are, and that's one thing, that's one element of neglect or maltreatment, couple that with substance abuse, undiagnosed or untreated mental health illness, you know, lack of permanent housing, intimate partner violence, all these other things that are coupled within it. And this child or these children are growing up in this environment with no potential for change for their family. Um, and so I believe, you know, families can change, but they have to want to show that from the very beginning and make active, you know, systemic changes. And truthfully, I've seen very few of those. And that's the hard part for us to accept that when a family has fallen apart and they can't pick themselves up and there are too many things going on in that household that we do we must prioritize the welfare of that child right. because what happens afterwards is just ongoing trauma and then we ask ourselves this child has been in care for eight years why how do we fail that child and those children? We have 9,000 children in our foster care system in New York. And we're proud of this number, by the way, because we went from 20 to nine. I can't really stand behind it because there are still 9,000 children in foster care. 
who are not getting to permanency. And so why aren't we talking about adoption to families who are struggling and talking about open adoption, one that we embrace from the beginning? And I also have to tell you, you know, let, let's let's be totally honest with each other. You know, there are you New York can say they went from 20 to nine, but there are a lot of children that should have been removed that are not being removed, that people are looking the other eye. It's it's happening and we're seeing it. I I, you know, it was it was during the whole pandemic when they said, Oh, look at the numbers have dropped in child welfare. And I reminded people the numbers dropped in child welfare is because children were not in front of our frontline workers, which are our teachers. So when Susie came to school with a black eye, they were able to make a phone call. When they saw all of a sudden a totally different little child entering the system, there was something going on within that house. They called, they were recalled. Kids weren't in front of teachers, and that's why numbers change. It did not change because our politicians or our state leaders or our welfare system did anything differently than they had done in the year after year after year. Listen, we're going to be right back. This is a heated conversation. You know, I love the fact that, you know, when we talk about things that really need to be talked about, you know, I've said this for the last three seasons that we've done Fostering Change, and I actually think it's one of the reasons why we we became the number one podcast for adoption and foster care in 2021 is because I am not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you all about the beautiful roses. I'm going to tell you about true hard facts of how we have failed day after day, thousands and thousands of children in our system. And as I remind everyone, I tell you this, these kids do not belong to you. They do not belong to me. They belong to us. We'll be right back. So, you know, everybody, I talk about this quite often, um, seeing the expansion that we have at Comfort Cases and to now know that we have a Comfort Cases UK team, I could not be more grateful. But what I'm so excited about is that on May the 24th, my family will be boarding a plane and heading to the UK for a really big event. So I have my friend Sarah, who is actually also the CEO and the founder of Comfort Cases UK right here with me today. So Sarah, tell us about what's going on when I get there. Oh my gosh, we are so excited to have you come to the UK. I cannot tell you, we are just so looking forward to meeting you and all your family. And we have got a huge event taking place on the 26th of May. Um, We are introducing Comfort Cases to our community, to our network, and we are so excited to invite you to talk as our keynote speaker. Um, And we will be doing some fundraising on the evening, but most importantly is to spread the message of how important the work that Comfort Cases UK is trying to do and to continue all the good work that you've already been doing over there in the US. And uh, things are happening really fast here and we just cannot wait for you to share it with us. Well, I will tell you, I'm really, really excited. So listen, everybody, for those who are listening to our podcast or actually you're watching it on YouTube, I want you all to do me one big favor. I want you to go to comfortcasesuk.org and donate. That's exactly right. What you would have donated to Comfort Cases, you know, here, I want you to go donate to comfortcasesuk.org. We truly need to make people understand whether there's a pond that is separating us, we are all one community. So Sarah, I'm excited to come to the UK, sending lots of love and please comfortcasesuk.org.
Well, I hope everybody has enjoyed the first part of Fostering Change. I know I have. I love having conversations um, that really shine light on things that we need to shine light on. But you know what? I will tell you the thing that is probably the most joy in my life besides meeting my husband um, was the day that we sat in the courtroom and we signed the adoption papers with our children. And I will never forget, you know, it was a very long process, which should not have been as long as it was. But as we've talked about earlier in the first half, you know, kids are used as pawns in child welfare. But I'll never forget sitting at the table with my four amazing children and as the judge looked at each one of them and asked them their names and my daughter looked at the judge and said her name was Amaya Shear and my son Makai said his name was Makai Shear and Grayson said his name was Grayson Shear and then my sweet baby boy at the age of two looked at the judge and said my name is Tristan Shear but everybody calls me Bubby um you know I think about that moment because the signing of those adoptions papers, Kate, was the biggest joy in my life, okay? Um, and I think that what people need to do is they need to start talking about adoption as something that's joyful, something that is not this taboo. And for me, any woman any woman who's listening to this, you know, or any woman who, you know, happens to hear anything I'm saying, it is the greatest gift that you can ever give to a child when you know that you cannot provide for that child and you are able to stay in that child's life, but able to give the child that they need. So tell me what you do to support those birth mothers. Yeah, thank you, Rob, for, for asking that really important question. You know, at Spence Chief, and we have an entire birth parent team dedicated to providing women with comprehensive, free, unbiased options counseling. And we have built a model where the, the concept of that really carries through our communities where, built, where we have built satellite offices and our presence in communities that need us most that really lack the resources in vulnerable communities where we see a high you know, rate of unintended pregnancies and other social factors, re-entry into child welfare or high child protective numbers. Um, and so we have brought our services to these communities that have now opened five satellite offices all over New York City. And the idea is meeting our clients where they they are and providing them with options counseling. And what it means is sitting down with them and talking about before even the idea of ACS touches them, you know, really discussing what makes sense for them, their child and their circumstance. And about 65% of the women that receive our counseling wind up parenting, but they, you know, really are in a better place than when they started. They have the resources, they have the pathway, and we have some services that we can offer them that gives them a break or a pause or a real understanding of what it's like, for example, to be away from their child. We have an interim care program where it's almost like respite, where they place their baby into the care of one of our volunteers, volunteer families that's screened and approved through the 
you know, state processes, licensing processes, and they care for the baby for about 30 days while mom figures out and plans to really identify the pathway for her and for the child. And um, that is not a relinquishment of parental rights. It's simply a pause, a, a moment for that woman to really come together with her clinician, social worker, to really talk about and hone in on some of the issues that are forefront and center and to figure out some real solutions, not just to have a baby come home and have no access to a pediatrician, you know, the things that we kind of take for granted, all the supplies. How do I go back to work? How do I access WIC services, get formulas and things like that, but real, really navigate what those solutions are for her and the baby. And some women, many choose adoption as a viable option and they choose a family. They meet the family of their choice and they you know, enter into an open adoption agreement with the family if they choose adoption. And others, sorry. Sorry to cut you off. I want to know what that looks like. I want to know what that open adoption looks like when it comes to that. That's a great question. So open adoption can take different, it can look different for every family and every situation. We have some families that spend every single holiday you can imagine together. We have others who choose to communicate via email and send photographs, and yet others who do a combination of both, two visits per year, for example, um, you know, during a birthday and a holiday and some phone calls and some Zoom meetings and some combination of all. So it depends on the wishes of the birth parent, mostly, and we honor that. That is why it's so critical. And of course, we talk and, you know, and train and educate the importance of open adoption with our adoptive families, um, because we believe it's really in the best interests of the child. I mean, there's always a balance. You don't want too much of that or too little of that. But again, the idea is to start off somewhere and the families themselves can really identify what they're comfortable with and grow into a relationship or a partnership where they feel comfortable communicating, sharing, learning about the milestones and other things and medical history and information which has been shared before, but this is another way of continuing that really positive relationship and setting their own boundaries. And we are there to help them do that. So they can come to us at any time, birth parents or adoptive parents and say, hey, we're struggling with this, or how do we set the boundaries? Or we want to visit more. How do we ask for that? What's the right way to do it without crossing that line? I absolutely love that because let me tell you, the thing that get, gets me, first of all, I want to go back. 65% of, of birth mothers decide to, you know, keep their children. I yeah. love that. And let me tell you the reason I love that is because you all are doing exactly what communities were built to do. Communities were built there to support each other. And here you're supporting these birth mothers. You're giving them options. You know, the whole put a pause breathe. I mean, I, you know, I don't want people to come back to me and say, oh, well, they're putting in areas with poverty. We all know that poverty is neglect. And it, no, I mean, you're sitting here giving me the, the tools to make the right choice. The other thing that I absolutely love, which did not happen to us, which doesn't happen to most 
people who adopt out of foster care. And I think it's the reason we have 120,000 children sitting waiting for a forever family is because there is zero to no support once the adoption is done. When we walked out of that courtroom with our babies, you know, and at the time, like I said, they were, you know, five, four, three, and two, um, we never heard from anybody again. We never heard from a social worker. We never had anybody. No one sent us a pamphlet and said, by the way, when your son's getting ready to suffer from reactive attachment disorder because the abuse that he went through, here's something that can help you. By the way, when you have to deal with the fact of all of a sudden you've got a child who, you know, you didn't realize has fetal alcohol syndrome because of the 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 drugs and the alcohol, here's here's support to help you. You know, no one did that. My husband and I literally it was like Oh my gosh, you know, I knew about trauma. I grew up in the system, but I never knew about the trauma the way my children have all experienced the trauma that we've dealt with. And fortunately, we're, you know, we, we were able to get counseling, we're able to get therapy and we're able to go through this. But I think of all the other parents out there who don't, and here you guys are supporting these families, even after the ink is dry, the adoption is done, you know, gosh, I love I just love you. I think that. Uh, thank you. I mean, we're, you know, we have, it's interesting you, you bring up that notion that post-adoption services are really lacking across the country. And I think it has to do with where the funding is allocated. We're so focused on preventive services. And by the way, we don't know the impact of that, uh, of those services. I mean, we know that preventive services keep families together. But to your earlier point, how do we know these children are safe? Because during the pandemic, the teachers and the doctors and the, you know, mandated reporters that had access and made the most calls didn't have access. So, you know, in in the light of where the focus is today, it's really in the preventive service model. And again, it goes back to how much are we family well-being focused versus child well-being focused? And I think post-adoption services is, is really key to all the families adopting from agencies like our Spence Chapin, adopting from foster care, like you said, most walk out and then have a number of problems or issues that come up, simple things, just getting counseling or some foster parents need to navigate the education system and get the right services for for their children. And so there's nothing available. Spence differentiates themselves. We think that adoption doesn't end at finalization. It it, it continues on the concept and notion of it, right? We, We want to support families, the whole triad, birth parents, adoptive families, children, and children go through various stages. We have little ones that are adopted uh, when they're infants through our domestic program. And we have older children who are adopted from, let's say, South Africa. And we bring them together. We build a community and we have a resource, uh, you know, uh, a center for services, if you will. So we have kids who are coming in from zero to five with their moms, dads, and dads. And they're getting bagels and blocks and they're doing their They're playing amongst each other. They're seeing, you know, other families and they're connecting and they're growing up together in this community. We have those that are attending our junior mentorship 
and uh, attending mentorship. Again, building that community. We have Voices of Triad that supports adoptees and their platform to be able to speak about their experiences and what they're feeling and how they're relating to each other. And then we have well-being services, the traditional therapy, like you're saying, you know, uh, where are the services that are available for someone who has a child who's dealing with a reactive attachment disorder and the family who's, who's handling, where are the tools, where can you seek that out? And we have therapists who are experts in these things, who talk about attachment and bonding and RAD and and work through some of these difficult things. And it's accessible to all and to all our families. And, and birth parents have support groups and they're able to join those support groups. Actually on May 8th, we're celebrating um, or we're gathering for our 25th birth mother gathering celebration um, that's being hosted by Spence Chapin. And what it is, it's an opportunity to celebrate our birth parents and birth mothers and Every Mother's Day, we do this. And it's such an important, moving, you know, just very, very involved, um, you know, event that really celebrates uh, the birth parents. Uh, and it's welcoming to all. It's not just Spence Chapin's birth parents that attend, but others who find a community here who need that, you know, another woman to speak to about her experience. And we have birth mothers who have placed many, many years ago who are who were part of the closed adoption and those who have placed recently. And it's just, it's such an incredible event and we're so proud of it. And it's, it's our 25th one this year. Wow. That's absolutely amazing. So listen, as we start to wind down, um, you all have a podcast. Um, so I, I know it's all about adoption. And I think, you know, our listeners and viewers, you know, where can they, where can they, what's it called? Where they, where can they find it? Because I think there's a lot of people that listen and watch our podcast that, you know, truly do have more questions about adoption. And, and like I said, I've said this before, Kate, and I tell it to most of my guests, the more we talk about it, the more normal it will become. And so having you on here and having knowing that you have a podcast, tell me about the podcast and where can we listen to it? Sure. It's it's um, Adoption Talk by Spence Chapin. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's really a, a, a compilation of different voices that represent uh, the adoption experience or the adoption triad. You have uh, birth parents who are on there. You have, you know, a pediatrician that works with us and helps us out. You have adoptive families. You have a social worker from Planned Parenthood who talks about her experience with clients and how she refers to Spence Chapin, those who are contemplating adoption. You have conversations with interim care providers who are the volunteers at our beautiful program who share, um, who know what it's like for a lot of young birth parents or, you know, birth parents in general who come in and really contemplate their options. And they give them that pause, that, that moment uh, to think about all their options and our social workers and families who have placed, who have experienced Spence Chapin and those who are in different stages of their adoption journey. So uh, we're excited about it. Um, you know, we're hoping to get more people to listen and, and, and hear the different uh, voices of adoption. 
Well, listen, everybody, um, you heard it straight here. You know, find it on Spotify, um, find it on Apple. And then once you have found it, do what I always say, share it, share it. You know, you've got that 45 minutes in the car. You're sitting there at the bus stop waiting for the kids to come in. You need that relax. I, I listen every morning I drive to work. Um, I'm always listening to a podcast on my way to work. And, you know, even if it's 15 minutes and I'm in the car, I listen to it. Listen, Kate, I want to say thank you so much. I want to thank you for, you know, being in the helms of an organization for 110 years who have actually put children first. You know, um, we hear so much within our politicians trying to change policy, do this, do whatever. I just don't see it when it comes to the children first, you know, and I understand we, you know, every child deserves to be with their parents. They need, they really do. Families need to stay intact, but let's be real with each other. Um, not every family can stay intact. And not every person was meant to be a parent. Um, so listen, um, Kate, where can people find your organization? Is it? You can find us on, on our website, on Instagram, just type in Spence Chapin. Um, you can find us on TikTok and Facebook, anywhere. Love it. Love it. You know, guys, you know how much Rob loves TikTok. So listen, you know, do me a big favor. You know, first of all, you know, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I know I did. Um, you have any questions, you can always email me at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Um, I hope each and every one of you um, go out there and do what we're supposed to do. And that is each one of us be a good human. We'll talk next time. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Kate. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.